everyone, my name is Jonathan Chan. Thank you so much for joining us as we embark on a new journey called Choose Your Religion. Now, today we will be embarking on Buddhism. But before we begin, let's start off with a video clip and we'll be right back. You guys are Buddhists? Oh yeah, if I didn't have inner peace, I'd completely go psycho on all you guys all the time. Well, I'm looking for a new faith, one that isn't so materialistic. Well, you've come to the right place. Buddhism teaches that suffering is caused by desire. <gasps> Richard Gere? Oh, the world's most famous Buddhist. <laughs> what about the Dalai Lama? Oh, you know, the 14th reincarnation of the Buddha of Alakotishvara. Who's Buddha? It's a good thing Buddhism teaches freedom from desire, because I've got the desire to kick your ass. Mr. Gear, I was hoping Buddhism could bring me inner peace. Or is that just a pipe dream? <laughs> we all have dreams. Mine is of a free Tibet. That would be so great. I dream about meatball sandwiches. All you can eat for two bucks. Good luck. Welcome back. We begin our Choose Your Religion series with Buddhism, as I mentioned earlier. Now, before we dive into Buddhism, I would like to first go over the general outline of what Dan and I want to achieve as we investigate this religion and the subsequent religions in this very short series. When we look at each religion, we want to answer the following questions that religion wants to answer. These questions are, well, what is the problem of the world today, metaphysically? Why is it happening? What is the existential and metaphysical narrative? In other words, are we part of a grand story or there is none? Where are we headed without dimension religion? Where should we be going according to the religion? How do we get there in the present? And what guides our moral and ethical compass there? As in, is there literature? Is there teachers? Is there, is there a map for us to use? And to guide us on how to get there? And is there life after death? And if yes, what is it? Since we are exploring these religions as a Christian, I also want to add one more to it. And that is, considering what I've just learned about this religion, how does this inform my Christian religion and my faith in Jesus? Alright, Dan and I will of course begin with a very brief discussion of the origins of each religion because really both he and I fully aware are fully aware that Google is available. And so a quick Google, you'll find the Wikipedia information, you'll find history.com, you'll find a plethora of information of religions, of each religion's origins. So what's really important in our discussion today and subsequent discussions for each religion is to answer the following questions I listed above. So let's jump right into uh, the origins briefly of Buddhism. So Buddhism is the fourth largest religion and it's an Indian religion. When it started, we don't know. It probably began, some say it probably began in the sixth and fourth century BCE. However, even though the, the timeline is debatable, there is a general consensus among scholars that Siddhartha Gautama was its founder. Now, who is he? Well, according to some literature, he was this nobleman, this wealthy guy from a noble family. 
and he was moved by the suffering that he saw in front of him. Now, what was this suffering? Now, this suffering Buddhism calls dukkha, dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A. And this suffering is basically defined as the life and death cycles of everything, of all living things, uh, including you and I. And what do I mean by that? Well, this life and death cycle, meaning I was, I'm born, I live, I die. Then I'm born again. In other words, reincarnation for those of you who are following along. I get reincarnated again, I live, I die. This cycle called what Buddhism calls samsara, S-A-M-S-A-R-A, samsara. This cycle of birth, life, and death, birth, life, and death. And what troubles him, what troubles Siddhartha Gautama was, is that it, this cycle also involves the six existential realms. Because every time, let's, for example, myself, if I live, then I die, and I get reborn again, I have to be born again into one of the existential realms. Three of them being very good, which are uh, godly, um, heavenly, and we call human, oh sorry, heavenly, demigod, and human. And there are three not so good realms, which were uh, hungry ghosts, animals, and hellish. Yes. So six realms, three of them being good, six of them, uh, three of them being bad. So based on how I lived, how I behaved, how I approached life during my time of life, when I die, whatever I have done, the merits that I have earned or the deductions that I've earned, I accumulated, that will translate into what I will become again within those six realms. Will I be in the first three realms of the good realms or the bad realms? And so for some of you who are following, this is called karma. Basically, karma is you reap what you sow. So when, I was, when I'm born and I live and I, and I try my best to live accordingly and then I, have get, and I die, I get rewarded again by reincarnating into hopefully the three good realms, not the latter three realms. Satarda Gautama, the founder, saw this very troubling. He saw this as suffering because this whole cycle, he felt it's just impossible to try to evaluate oneself to figure out if you're going to make it to the good realms or the bad realms. And so he said, this is suffering and there needs to be a liberation, a freedom from this cycle. So he saw this cycle, this reincarnation cycle as suffering. And he, he said, humanity needs to get out of this. Like this is suffering and we need to get out of it. And how do we do it? Well, first, he tried to pursue it through studying different philosophies. So uh, he's a nobleman, so he probably was able to afford uh, some schooling and education to consult with the top philosophers of his day. So he went to the, the philosophers and the scholars to 
sit down with them and ask them and see what methods are available to him to get out of this vicious cycle called samsara. He tried different meditative practices, particularly the meditative attainment of the sphere of nothingness. And some of you may know this uh, when you're in yoga class sometimes. It's just to have empty your mind type of thing. But as you and I both know, it's very hard to empty your mind. And then there's also the sphere of neither perception or non-perception. Not quite sure what that means, but you could quickly Google that. So there were the two primary meditative practices that he, he was doing in order to get out of and liberate himself from samsara. Now, somehow, none of this worked. And somehow, he left it all behind and went under a tree, which is now known as the Bodhi tree. And, and somehow, he attained this combination of spiritual methods and also life, uh, life practices in order to attain this freedom from samsara. And he called this the middle way, a spiritual practice to end suffering. And therefore, because of his success of being able to liberate himself, we're not quite sure. I wasn't, I'm not, still not sure how one knows if they have liberated themselves, but he says that once you're liberated, you can be fully enlightened. And meaning fully enlightened, meaning out of samsara, no longer part of this uh, life, birth, life, death cycle, and you are free and uh, you are now called a Buddha. Buddha. People starting following him. And because of that, he started to have disciples. And so you have now have Buddhism as your religion. There you go. That's how Buddhism started. Buddhism started with a observation from a nobleman saying that this whole reincarnation cycle is suffering. There needs to be a liberation from it. How do you get it? Well, follow the middle way that I that he proposes and basically become the disciples of that middle way. And there you go. And there you have it, Buddhism. Okay, let's get into the questions. So what is the problem of the world today according to Buddhism? Well, Buddhism responds to this question with what is known as the Four Noble Truths. First, as we already mentioned, is Dukkha. Quote, the incapability of satisfying one's desires. Sort of like Richard Gere on that video that I showed you, is to be free from those desires, right? So the problem with the world today is humanity's dis uh, clinging of their own desires, material desires. The consistent clinging of impermanent things, i.e. worldly things, that result in nothing more than more suffering. Uh, if some of you know this tune, I doubt it, but by P. Diddy, more money, more problems, right? So basically, that's the idea of Buddhism, is that it's the whole idea of the consistent clinging desires of impermanent things, worldly things, that result in nothing more than suffering, because when you obtain them, you want more, and you want more, and you want to protect what you have. We expect happiness from impermanent things, Buddhists say. And 
Because of that, it's just not true. Rather, these impermanent things result in pain, burden, and a mundane cycle of continuing the unsatisfied, unmet desire, which is, again, this whole cycle of samsara. This desire and craving leads to the second noble truth called the samudaya, i.e. the source of the dukkha. So you can refer dukkha as the emotional and mental state of suffering because of the samudaya, the desire, the desires of our hearts. So you could say that the dukkha is the result of the samudaya. This then leads to the third noble truth, which is the proposition to solve it called niroda. All right, pardon me if I mispronounce that, but uh, I'm sure doing my best. Niroda, the cessation of all perceptions and feelings, including the feelings for others and things. Wow, so that's really different. So the third noble truth is the proposition to solve this whole samsara, this whole samudaya and dukkha, and that is to get rid of all feelings for anything. So whether it be inanimate objects, whether it be your feelings for your iPhone, whether it be feelings for your work or your family or your friends, you want to abandon that. No feelings whatsoever. That's how you attain this whole liberation from desires, the liberation from Samudaya. And once you do that, once you obtain that, once you reach that freedom from all feelings, you hit this point called Nirvana, the freedom and liberation from the samsara because desires are no longer there. The desires are gone. So when you die, that's it. You're no longer going back into that cycle. You're free from that cycle and you're dead. Poof. Done. There's no more rebirth and no more reincarnation. You're done. Free. Which means no more dukkha, no more samsudaya, no more samsara, no more suffering and pain. Which leads to the fourth noble truth called the maga. And the maga is how to get there. And that's where we will go to the next question. The MAGA, the process uh, or the literature or the life principles that Buddhists need to follow in order to reach to Nirvana. Now, let's quickly summarize again, because it, it is a religion, a new religion for all, many of us. So let's summarize this again. So Buddhism says that the problem with the world today is our Samudaya the insatiable desire to be satisfied through worldly things or impertinent things. And every problem and dukkha we see is due to samudaya. Why is it happening without an, without an end? It's because of samsara, the vicious cycle of reincarnation where we are born, we live and we die. We born, live and die. The continuing mundane cycle of reincarnation where we just try to figure out how to do enough good so that our desires can be offset and not end up in the latter three realms. And because of this, because of the samsara, Buddhists see this as the reason why the world isn't any better. It's because we are pursuing the wrong things and we are following our desires and our feelings and we keep on going into this vicious cycle. The world needs to be free from it and to be able to go kaput, to be poofed, to be in nirvana and to just die and be free. 
This is pretty much the metaphysical and existential narrative that Buddhists see. That there is, that we are part of a story, but that story needs to get out. The, there's a bad story, which is the vicious cycle, but we need to be free from that story into nirvana. Buddhism says that humanity is stuck in the cycle without any liberation from it, and without taking the proper maga, the middle way, we will forever be in the cycle of dukkha. Where we should be going, is the next question, is the ultimate freedom from all passion, freedom from all feelings, freedom from emotion and desires and perceptions. And that's what we call nirvana. So, how are we to do it? Buddhism offers the eightfold path. There is one caveat though. While Buddhism considers the liberation from samsara as the ultimate spiritual goal in traditional practice, the primary focus of the vast majority of lay Buddhists around has been to seek and accumulate merit through good deeds, donations to monks, and various Buddhist rituals in order to gain better rebirths rather than nirvana. You follow? So, just like any other religion, even Christianity included, you have really orthodox and really keen, zealous uh, Buddhists and zealous Christians, but you also have those who just want the bare minimum and to don't want to go into nirvana, do not want to go into poofness, but just to get a better reincarnation through the bare minimum, like good deeds, donation to monks, and various Buddhist rituals in order to gain better rebirths. So, however, if you were a zealous Buddhist and you want to be serious with this religion and you want to take the traditional route and get into nirvana, there is the Eightfold Path for you. And in no particular order, here is the Eightfold Path. They are Right View, Samadita, Right Intention, Samasankapa, Right Speech, Samavaka, Right Action, Samakamanta, Right Livelihood, Sama Aiva, Right Effort, Sama Vayama, Right Mindfulness, Sama Sati, and Right Concentration, Sama Samati. I said this really quickly, but those are the eight. The right understanding that the ultimate goal for humanity is Nirvana. Everything is temporary and goes through a life, death, life, death cycle of samsara, yet it doesn't have to be that way. One needs to start by believing and having the right view in life that the ultimate goal is to be free and liberated from all passions, perceptions, pursuits, and cares, and be in complete nirvana. Which leads to the next fold in the eightfold, right intention. Right intention of giving up home and adopting the life of a religious mendicant in order to follow the path that aims at peaceful renunciation into an environment of non-sensuality, non-ill will, and away from cruelty i.e. just get away from humanity in general. Which, if you think about it, this is isolation from the world around you, really. Right speech is self-explanatory, right? I.e. You no know, lying, rudeness, swearing, gossip, abuse, and condescending language. Right action is no killing or injuring, no taking what is not given, no sexual acts, especially for monks, and for lay Buddhists, no sensual misconduct, such as sexual involvement with someone married or with an unmarried woman protected by her parents or relatives. Right livelihood is for monks. Beg to feed, only possessing what is essential to sustain life. Now, for the normal lay Buddhists, 
The canonical texts state right livelihood as abstaining from wrong livelihood. And that's general, right? It explained as not becoming a source or means of suffering to sentient beings by cheating them or harming or killing them in any way. You hear that, Myanmar? If you're a true Buddhist, you don't kill people. Right effort is guard against sensual thoughts. This concept aims at preventing unwholesome states that disrupt meditation. Right mindfulness is never be absent-minded, conscious of what is what one is doing. This encourages mindfulness about impermanence of the body, feeling, and mind, as well as to experience the five skandhas, the five hindrances, the four true realities, and the seven factors of awakening, which we will not get into today. You can Google that. And finally, right concentration is correct meditation or concentration. Dhyana explained as the four hyanas. Phew. Now, as daunting as it was to read all that, think about how daunting it is for a normal person like myself and yourself to practice all those things. And because of its daunting nature, many Buddhist monks have offered something simpler. Because many of us, many lay Buddhists, their goal is not to hit nirvana. Many of the lay Buddhists, as mentioned earlier, their goal is to just reincarnate in a better realm. And hopefully, dear God, not to reincarnate into the latter three evil realms. And so a lot of these lay Buddhists would go to the monks and say, can you just give me the Coles notes or the abbreviated version of the bare minimum of what I need to do? So that, you know, I don't need to be reincarnated into a rock. Well, the Buddhist teachers say this. One, abstain from killing. Cool. Abstain from stealing. Abstain from sensual misconduct. Okay. Abstain from lying. Ooh, okay. And abstain from intoxicants, including alcohol. Hmm. So, there are some additional ones, such as uh, just to make up for the ones that you cannot do, like no sexual activity, abstain from eating at the wrong time, and vegetarianism, abstain from jewelry, perfume, adornment, entertainment, abstain from sleeping on high bed, i.e. to sleep on a mat on the ground. Okay, so as you can see, for the lay Buddhists, there are many options for you to, for you or I to be able to maybe hopefully reincarnate into the three realms and not become a rock. Now, on to the next question. What are some common texts that Buddhists use to guide their moral and ethical life to ensure that they are following the Eightfold Path or, if you are a lay Buddhist, an abbreviated version as many lay Buddhists commonly do? Here are three. The Tipitaka. Now, these texts are known as the Three Baskets and they're thought to be the earliest collections of Buddhist writings. The sutras, they are more than 2,000 sutras, which are sacred teachings embraced mainly by Mahayana Buddhists, and the Book of the Dead. And this is over in Tibet. It's a Tibetan text describing the stages of death in detail. All right. Now, the last question that Buddhism tries to address and that we need to answer is, according to Buddhism, is there life after death? Well, yes and no. For the lay Buddhists, yes. After death, you're going to be reincarnated. You don't care about nirvana. It's too tough. This whole eightfold thing, this whole freedom thing is too tough. So you remain in this whole samsara cycle. And hopefully 
you'll be in the top three realms rather than the bottom three realms. Okay. Now, but if you were an orthodox Buddhist and you were serious and you were zealous of Buddhist, you would say, no, there is no life after death because death is actually freedom from samsara. That once you die and if you remain dead, it means, I don't know how you know this, but if you remain dead, it means that you have achieved nirvana and you have freedom from the samsara, freedom from this vicious cycle of born, life and death, born, life and death. You're done. You're free. You've hit nirvana. You've hit enlightenment, the Buddha. So, yes and no. Now, there are also other schools of thought in Buddhism that I found interesting while I was doing my research. And for some of you who may, well, or better question, some of you who are old enough to remember this Star Trek series called Deep Space Nine, there was this character named Odo. Now, Odo is a shape changer or Shape changer, yes. And so Odo is one of these kinds of aliens where when they die, they are actually, they melt kind of. They, they melt into this gobbly goop and they go into back to their planet and they merge into this pool of gobbly goop of all the uh, shape changers who have passed on before this one, who passed on prior. So they merge into one. And there's this uh, school of thought in Buddhism where uh, they believe that there's this, not many Buddhists believe this, but there are Buddhists that believe that there is a spirit inside of us uh, that belong to this one spirit where when we do pass on, our spirit is united with this pool, this lake of spirits inside. That is mainly in uh, a tradition. This is a tradition that was taken from Hinduism, which is quite obviously um, no surprise because Buddhism came out of Hinduism, which we will go into next week. But that's one of the school of thoughts within Buddhism when uh, to address the question, is there life after death? So for those who are lay Buddhists who would rather be reincarnated into a better realm, yes, there is life after death in that. For those who are very strict and zealous in Buddhism and believes that Nirvana is the goal, no, there is no life after death. But then there's a school of thought where if you are a spiritual being, your spirit will be merged into this lake of spirits. So yes and no for life after death. All right, lastly. So as a Christian, how does Buddhism inform my Christian faith? Well, here's my personal reflections. Buddhism tells me there is a yearning in the world to be free from suffering where suffering is defined as the constant burden of finding satisfaction and fullness, but can't get it. So this cycle of trying to fulfill this void in our lives, yet when we think we do, we are just more burdened rather than being free. Also, there's this whole idea of karma, of suffering, where you reap what you sow. And there is no way to do enough good to make up the wrongs that, that we've done because it's hard to. We don't know how much good 
we can do to make up a wrong. It doesn't have a monetary value. You cannot say that, oh, I killed somebody. That's a $50 value. So I'll just do a $50 value of good to make up for it. You can't. You cannot do that. And that's the trouble with karma. And Buddhism sees that as well. That they see that karma is the problem as well. That in, that influences your whole samsara, the whole cycle, and the whole idea of being reincarnated into a rock. And so there is this thing about suffering. Karma, samsara, the vicious cycle of fulfilling your desires, a vicious cycle of trying to do enough good to make up the wrongs that you've done. This suffering. And as a Christian, I agree. I should be aware of this, that there is a lot of suffering in this world, that there is this vicious cycle of not only trying to fulfill your one's own desires and paying the price for it, but also the cycle of trying to figure out how to do enough good to make up the wrongs and find reconciliation and finding redemption and finding the freedom from all this so that we can reboot our lives and move on with a new life, right? As opposed to reborn in, into a, a rock. So for Buddhism, as I was reading through Buddhism, as I was familiarizing myself with Buddhism, then as I was chatting with fellow friends who are Buddhists, that we both agree that there is this suffering. And Christians, you and I, as we went through Buddhism, we should be aware that many people around the world are aware of this type of suffering and not just us that everybody's yearning and searching for a solution out there to get out of this cycle of suffering unfortunately as you and i both know in vancouver and in many parts of the developed world a lot of people use different methods to get out of the suffering some use medications, some use drugs, some use alcohol, some use violence, some just end their lives right then and there. And so therefore, we need to be aware that the world is also aware of this suffering. But also, as I was familiarizing myself with Buddhism and doing my research, how else does Buddhism inform my Christian faith? Well, here's the question, more of a question to all of us. See, the death, and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whom we have faith in, and whom we believe in the Christian religion, how does his death and resurrection solve this suffering? How does this, his death and resurrection provide the freedom and liberation from this suffering? For Buddhism, it is to strive for the Eightfold Path, the middle way. And part of the middle way is to do the Eightfold Path right thinking, right intentions, right speech, right actions, those things. But in Christianity, do we have that formula? Or is Jesus' death and resurrection enough? Because Jesus did say that his death and resurrection is believe in him and you'll be free. Have faith in him and you'll be free. Free from this suffering. But I must ask you and ask myself, as I always do when I look at other religions, is that how does Jesus' death and resurrection provide me with freedom today? Do I even feel free today? Do I feel liberated from this samsara? Do I feel liberated from this karma? Do I feel liberated from the wrongs that I've done and that I do not need to feel burdened to try to find enough good to make up the wrong? 
And do I feel liberated and do I feel full in Jesus? Do I, do I still desire to fill my life, fill those holes with material things or what the Buddhists would say, impermanent things? Or does Jesus fulfill that as well? And so that should actually be our discussion questions for ourselves when we conclude in looking at Buddhism. In light of my faith in Jesus Christ, how does Jesus speak into suffering, the suffering that's defined by Buddhism? And where are we headed without Jesus? Are we going to head into this vicious cycle again? Where are we headed and with regards to death? Where are we headed to with regards to if we do have faith in Jesus? We will get into that when we explore Christianity. But for now, for all of us who are Christians, I will leave those questions with you to discuss whether in your small group or amongst yourselves. But if you want to discuss it with me, feel free to chime in just through the website or email me at community at cruciblechurch.com. That's it from me. I hope you enjoyed Buddhism, the, the brief overview of Buddhism and how we look into Buddhism and how we investigate the Buddhism with the various questions that we asked. Hope you found it beneficial. Till next time, have a blessed week. Thank you.